You're listening to a 58 Ember production. Good morning, Discovering Discos. This week, we discover how a social media food photo almost cost an influencer a $60,000 restaurant bill, the best and the worst of this weekend's Super Bowl food commercials, and how a new study has found gardening to be worse for the environment than conventionally grown food. Welcome to Discover Ag, where food meets pop culture. We're your hosts, Natalie Antara, millennial cattle rancher and dairy farmer. And every Thursday, we go beyond the headlines to discover what's new in the world of food. And listen, I know you had a really exciting weekend in South Dakota, but I just like need to <laughs> tell you about my ski weekend. Do tell. So I've skied my whole life and I just, I don't like it. I don't know what else to say about it besides I don't like it. Like literally I took the girls up, that's getting ahead of myself, but I took the girls up and when I was putting on my boots, like I was like, who likes this? Who likes doing this? Not me. But I think what made it all the worse this weekend is I took the girls up skiing because Daniel has a bum knee. And so as I'm like walking out the door, I can tell Dan is like devastated because he loves to ski and he's just so sad. And he's like, well, I guess I'll just be hanging here, napping, going to the spa (laughs) and the sauna. And you can tell he's like, he's genuinely like heartbroken. And I'm like... I am equally as heartbroken, but for the opposite reason. I feel like you and Dan had Freaky Friday where you guys switch bodies and have to experience each other's lives and you guys didn't like it. I would have actually loved your weekend, though. Uh, When Tad and I lived in Montana, we used to ski every single weekend. Well, We snowboarded, but we used to do it every single weekend. That is what we did in the winter. And I loved it. We'd go up to the hill. And depending on the weather, the day, like I like the flexibility of having a half day, you know, that you can spend on the slopes or full day. So I think I would have hung a little bit better than you for sure. Um, But you're right. While you were having a, you know, treacherous weekend on the slopes, we were having a fun-filled family weekend in South Dakota. And I just have to say it was exactly what we needed. Luke has been so stressed out with everything going on the ranch. And, you know, I love to travel. We brought uh, Tad and Jax. We left Rue behind. Poor little bugger. But it was just the perfect weekend. You know, we had a balance of like activities I enjoyed activities for Jax that he enjoyed, activities for Tad and Luke. And it was just like everyone got what they wanted out of the three days we spent at the stock show and rodeo in Rapid. And, you know, I'm a stan, five out of five, recommend it, check it out next year. We loved it. It looked like you guys had so much fun. I will say I'm a stan for 10 out of 10, recommend going to Santa Fe, eating all the good food, doing all the shopping. And if you like skiing, then go do that thing. But I'm out. So that's our weekends. Recap. All right, getting into our episode. So today we want to thank Case IH. Case IH has a solution for every challenge, equipment for every farm. Case IH is built by farmers. And don't forget, next week, Tuesday through Thursday, we will be at World Ag Expo with Case IH and we will be coming to you every single morning with a really fun morning show from the World Ag Expo that'll be live on Case IH's YouTube channel. Yes, so excited for that. We have um, some very fun kind of out of the box ideas planned for their YouTube channel that I'm really excited to implement. I've never been to World Ag Expo either. So I'm excited to do that. And of course, I'm just excited to co host another show with my wonderful partner. All right. And before I let Natalie take us into our first article, I want to let you guys know that we are actually interviewing the founder of Tubes & Co., our favorite beef tallow brand. We had Emily on and she was such a wealth of knowledge for why she created this brand, everything that's behind their mission. So do not leave when we are done with the articles. Stick around for that interview. All right, you guys, diving into the first article to discover this week, headline, an influencer ended up with $60,000 of shrimp and squid at lunch. And it's kind of her fault. 
So this was an article out of Food and Wine, which is absolutely one of our favorite for food news. I feel like it's like the who's who of food news. But the article shares how a Chinese influencer was having a meal out with friends in a hotspot restaurant in southwest China. Their food came out and she snapped what we can only assume was an aesthetically pleasing grid worthy photo for social media, posted it. And as we will discuss, ended up with a $60,000 bill because of something that was in the background. Yeah, this is a really wild story. I feel like it's something you do not think about at all when you are posting on social media. I mean, there's so many things you don't think about when posting on social media. But what she didn't notice was that she included the QR code for her table in the photo. And at this restaurant, you use that QR code for placing orders, paying your bill, like everything through the QR code. So she put her QR code for her table out not really for the whole world to see. She put it on WeChat, which I think is interesting that China has like different social media apps than we do. Yeah, I know. I was curious about that, like what it entails, because the article mentioned that she only shared with her WeChat friend list and not her entire social network. And she still had this ridiculous amount of food to order. Like when it was all said and done, (laughs) this just cracks me up. Also, you can tell we're not in America with the items ordered, but it was 1,850 orders of duck blood. 2,580 orders of squid and an absolutely bonkers 9,990 orders of shrimp paste. And that was when the restaurant was like, hmm. Yeah, obviously, as these orders were rolling in, the restaurant at some point was like, what the hell is going on? And like stopped and went up to her. Yeah. (laughs) They're like, table 54 is really getting down. (laughs) It's kind of crazy. It took that long. They're like, this girl is hungry. All you can eat buffet. I know. Table four is really getting wild there like (laughs) they are into the shrimp paste i don't even know what shrimp paste is did you google that i don't know what shrimp paste is either and i didn't realize duck blood was like a real big delicacy in china i apparently i'm not up with like my chinese cuisine you did mention that she only shared this to her friends list and i'm not gonna lie when i was reading it i was like wow like some shitty friends (laughs) like just racking up your bill uh, the good news is the restaurant did not make her pay for all of it. Like uh, we kind of mentioned, I'm sure the scenario rolled out where they came up and were like, did you really mean to order 10,000 orders of shrimp paste or was that an accident? Um, the influencer called it a learning experience and talked about how she hoped others could use the situation as a cautionary tale to be more careful when sharing snaps online. And I think that's obviously like the big picture and kind of why I wanted to cover this because I mean you said in the opening it is kind of wild what we share on social media without thinking about it and sometimes even thinking about it like I'll be scrolling and I'll just pause thinking wow that that's an interesting thing someone decided to share about their lives you know and I just have been thinking so much lately about where we are at our point in society right now with social media and just how wild and kind of unhealthy, I think it is, of what we share and how open we are. I know. And I feel like that's probably like people are might be laughing, like thinking that it's you and I saying that because we share a lot of our (laughs) lives on social media. I also think sometimes, which this varies for the influencer, but like sometimes people think I share more of my life than I maybe do. Like I feel like we've both talked about this. I'm way more open and honest on the podcast than I am on my social channels. Like and I'm not like lying on my social channels. There's just like things I hold back from posting into like stories. And I think some of it is I've just gotten more conscientious about not sharing my kids and things. So there's just like pieces of my life I like am choosing not to like put on stories on Instagram. Well, it's so interesting because I talked about this in our personal episode about like parenting a child through social media. I think I did at least, or maybe, maybe I didn't. 
Did I? I don't feel like we did. I feel like we need to cover that. That's like actually a whole nother tangent I want to go down. But yes, I we need to cover that. Um. So anyway, it, I I've I've had thoughts about social media because I feel like we're the first generation to parent with it, and we don't have anything to go off of, which is weird. Like I can't I can't compare and use how my parents you know parented me around social media as an example of how I either want to or don't want to parent my own child. Like it is the blind leading the blind out here. And so it, it's interesting because with our journeys, I think you and I have evolved where at certain times we have shared more. Like looking back historically, if I was to go through, you know, my social media journey three years ago or five years ago or whatever it was, it is very different than now. And I think that's absolutely okay because I think we're learning as we go. Like you said, I, I do think 2024 and kind of the end of 2023 has been a shift where you and I are intentionally showing less of our small children and our children in general. And... um. I don't know. I think, you know, I was really thinking about this, honestly, when I was on this this latest trip, we went to Rapid City because I had it was a partnership with, you know, Visit Rapid City. And so I had places I had to go. I had an agenda. Right. And I was thinking I I had to share where we were staying and highlight that. And I was thinking if I was there alone, there's absolutely no way I would share any more. I just wouldn't do it. I think a couple of years ago, I maybe wouldn't have thought twice about it. But I was like, I absolutely will not ahead of time share where I'm staying and expose myself in that way. A lot of times, these, these, you know, like I've just been thinking about how you tell people where you're at all the time and what you're doing. And I think that like in real time. And, you know, lately, a lot of my stories have been like 24 hours after when you're on these trips because you just can't like post and share the same. And so I think there's more comfort around that. But I was like, I'm going to be staying there the three days. So even if I like, I can't delay, you know, sharing where we're going to stay the way I can say like, oh, this is a restaurant we ate at that was really good. And I don't post that until we've actually left the restaurant. So people can't find you. And I was just thinking like, again, I'm I'm a small influencer. Like I'm just barely over 100,000. Like I know that is like big to some people, but in the sea of influencers, that is really small. And what some of these, these bigger accounts do share, just knowing how uncomfortable I am with my audience, I just, it's like, I'm having a hard time wrapping around where we are in society, I think with what we're sharing online. Yeah, I mean, this weekend, I was obviously in Santa Fe Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and I did not post till the car ride home. And uh, my brother-in-law actually was like, you haven't even been sharing. You're here. Like, we're doing such fun stuff. And I was like, I'm just not comfortable saying, like, we're not here. So, like... A lot of times people are like, well, you're like lying on your stories. I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm just like, like you said, delaying until we're already home. Like it's already happened. Like a lot of times my stories are a few days behind and it just like gives me some level of like privacy, I feel like. So a personal story kind of that this brought up for me is actually like through Annalise's diagnosis. So when Annalise got her diagnosis, it was in 2018. And so I was a not that I'm a huge account now. I have just over 50,000 followers, but I was a much smaller account back then. And it started as an ear infection. And so I was just like posting about her ear infection. And then like the next thing we know, we're like in the ER. And so like, it's not like I was like, documenting every minute but like you know it was kind of like in my stories then we ended up in a hospital stay and so I was like yeah we're in the hospital now and like obviously getting lots of dms and then like it obviously turned into an entire thing which is like a genetic like diagnosis and I was not when I started sharing that it was like a simple Mm -hmm. mom being like my kid has an ear infection like you know and it's kind of a crazy ear infection like any suggestions any thoughts and turn into like us sharing her story and I don't regret sharing her story because I've connected with so many other moms that have gone through things with their kids but 
I don't know that when I posted that like first set of stories, had I known what it was going to like what her condition was going to snowball into, like, I just I don't know. Do you know? Like, I don't know if that's making any sense, but it's just kind of crazy to look back and think about like how posting like in the moment of something like it ended up being that I had to like take people along on this journey with me. Yeah, for sure. We kind of gone over this, but it is making me just like give pause and like think about what is actually like being put on social media. And I think that's actually you keep saying like the place we're in in social media. And I think this is the place we're in where people are like reevaluating everything that they're posting and how they're posting. And actually, like going back to this article with this restaurant, it's even making the restaurant like reconsider how they set things up. So they said they now have a distance limit. And if you are like so far away from the QR code, it won't let you place an order. And so I wonder how we will move forward like in a society with like some checks and balances on our like posting, I don't know, strategy, posting saga. Yeah, because... You would think this is the only time it's happened, but the article referenced like how this has been happening before. Um, and for everyone who's in the U.S. that's tuning in, we might think we're not like we don't have to deal with this because I, I mean, I haven't really gone to any restaurants that have used a Scantron to I've used this the, like a Scantron to open the menu, but not to like place my orders in the, the fashion that this is. But apparently this is like, I don't know, I guess becoming more commonplace possibly in the U.S. So I don't know, you guys. It's um, it's a wild world out there. Be safe. Um, check your backgrounds, watch your food posts, and you know, double think about what you're posting online. I guess from you know two influencers who post everything. <laughs> well, as you'll as you've learned, not everything, but everything at the same time. <laughs> uh, pretty much everything at the exact same time. All right, you guys. The second article to discover this week headline: Watch the best and worst Super Bowl LV. I, I, I ads. I looked that up. It's actually 58. Super Bowl 58. Uh, so this was an article at a time and it reminded me of um, it kind of reminded me of the most likely awards in like a yearbook, you know, where you vote for students like the most likely, I don't know, to be an American Idol or the most likely to own their business or whatever. Um, it's that the article is that but for the Super Bowl. And we thought it would be really fun to cover because the hype is high, right? We are what four days away from the Super Bowl. And so we just wanted to give you guys a heads up on what ads to watch for, what ads we are excited about, which ones we aren't. And I have to say, I didn't realize, I don't think I've ever paid attention how many actual food ads there are during the Super Bowl. It's kind of wild. Yeah, I feel like buckle up, you guys, because we've got a lot to cover. There is a ton of ads that are coming out. I also think it's worth noting, in case you've been living under a rock, the Kansas City Chiefs are playing the San Francisco 49ers, and I will actually be in San Francisco on Super Bowl Sunday. Talk about oversharing. I'm going to be out of town on Sunday. Um, So I'm actually really excited about the Super Bowl. I think I'll be cheering for the Kansas City Chiefs, but I will be in a sea of 49ers. With that, America's most expensive commercials are actually like during the Super Bowl, which I think we all know, but I thought this number was crazy. It is 150 million viewers watching the big game last year and where they're expected to do have even bigger audience this year. And so advertisers are like putting in huge money. Yeah, I saw a stat that said that uh, the revenue for this that we'll bring in for, I think it was Fox, is $600 million. Like, this is the big daddy, you guys, of advertising, I feel like, the Super Bowl ads. Um, and on that note, something else to do with money that I was not aware of when it came to the Super Bowl. Did you see the price of the tickets? $12,000 per ticket on average, which obviously means there's less expensive ones, but that also means there's a lot more expensive ones. I thought there was no way that was real. So I was double checking. I googled multiple articles to research this and it was 
an oversight by a little bit. Most of the other articles uh, quoted an average around like the 8,000, 9,000 marker. Still, I had absolutely no idea that it was that much to go to the Super Bowl. Like I'm I'm flabbergasted still by that stat. Like who is going to the Super Bowl? Like how is the whole stadium full? Yeah, a lot of people are actually going, Natalie. <laughs> They're shelling oh up my in cash. Gosh, I think my couch is just fine. I think it'll do. I mean, I totally I don't know where I'm going to be watching, man. That's such a great question. I need to like check in on that. But my favorite ad was the David and Victoria Beckham's Uber Eats ad. I thought this one was fabulous. And you mentioned about how it's like a huge marketing day. I want to get into that. But I loved this ad for Uber Eats. It was like a mimic of the viral scene from their Netflix documentary where like Victoria was talking about their families being very working class. And then David is like, be honest. And she's like, I am being honest. And then it comes out like that her dad drove a Rolls Royce. And she's wearing her merch that says like, my dad drove a Rolls Royce. Yeah, so in this parody, there she's like, "We're gonna be on a little commercial," and he's like, "Be honest," and she's like, "Okay, it's it's actually a big commercial, you know." And then they share it for the Super Bowl. Um, but I agree, this was absolutely my favorite. I just I find them so endearing. I love them. I'm a fan for them. I want to be couple friends for them. I thought it was interesting. The Time article gave them the most self um, deprecating award, and I was like, "That no, like I would give them the funniest. They are the most funniest award. That is what they should be getting." Okay, this is what I want to talk about on the marketing thing is they released, I think it's the whole ad. It seems like the entire ad or is it just a teaser? Like a lot of the other ones only have released a teaser and I loved how long there was. I I feel like they're getting their moment ahead of the Super Bowl. Like I feel like everyone's going to be talking about 50 billion ads in Super Bowl day or the day after and Uber Eats is already like capitalizing on the huge viral sensation this, this is. Yeah, I noticed that too. And I do think Uber Eats released their full ad ahead of time. And I think other people, I think you could choose. I think you could release the full commercial or you could do partials because going through these videos, there were ones that were like 10 second clips and there were ones like this one that was like a minute plus. And so I'm like, there's no way there's probably more to that commercial than this. Maybe they have a different version that they'll be airing. I don't know, but they're absolutely capitalizing off of it. It's pinned to their Instagram page, the Uber Eats page. Um, And the Uber Eats also just rolled out one with Jelly Roll, the country artist Jelly Roll. And it is pinned to theirs as well. And theirs is really funny too, or his is really funny too. So I feel like Uber Eats is trying to get like all the hype um, on social media paired with this, you know, Super Bowl coming up and just like, they're like, they're on it. Yeah, on the flip side of the coin, talking about their competitors. So the largest food delivery service, DoorDash, is doing something kind of crazy. One lucky winner will win an item from every single commercial if you order DoorDash on the day of the Super Bowl. So you will win everything from every single bit of food, one car from every car commercial, beer from all of it, getting your taxes done for free, every single commercial, which is just like a wild concept of like for their commercial. I know, but I think it was so smart. They were doing something so different than every other brand that's rolling out a commercial, just promoting themselves. They're like, they're they're promoting themselves and the fact that it's like their service, but they're, I think it's genius. Like I would give them the most genius award for sure. Um, My second favorite was the Chris Pratt for Pringles. Oh my gosh. I wish that one, I could have seen the whole one. Like it was a teaser and it's like Chris Pratt with a mustache and it looks like he's like staring down the Pringles guy with a mustache and then the Pringle guy like winks at him. And it was just, I think it's going to be really funny, whatever the full thing is. Celebrity crush, you guys, Chris Pratt. I've just loved him since Parks and Rec. And I guess I like him in Jurassic Park. I don't know. I just, I think he's adorable. He farms like he's in the, you know, lifestyle. I just, 
I will watch him stare at a Pringles can all day long if I have to. <laughs> You're like, that's it. That's the that's the Super Bowl mm-hmm. for me. <laughs> I'm like, rewind, rewind, rewind. <laughs> but my second favorite ad was actually the Kris Jenner Oreo one. I don't know if you saw this one, but again, it's just a teaser. So we haven't seen the whole thing. And the ad is actually a play on Khloe Kardashian. Um, in 2020, she had like a how to recreate her OCD cookie jar. And so Chris has one of those cookie jars and then she's like where does it all begin and she twists off the top of an oreo and then says it starts with a twist and so i think it's i think it's gonna be really good oh i think it's gonna be a letdown i am intrigued to watch it and see what it is because yeah there that's another one that they released on instagram i have seen that as a reel it's been trending i actually saw it a while ago so i think oreo released it like first they might have been the first ones to drop it and i was confused and there was a lot of other commenters that were like i don't get what she's talking about like i don't i don't get it at all so i honestly think it's gonna be a little bit of a letdown but i am curious there were a couple i was curious about too reese's has an interesting one that i'm like i'm not sure what's going on doritos had an interesting one or no it wasn't doritos it was um bud light i'm like i i don't know what's going on with bud light nerds did one with addison ray that they like teasing uh bits and pieces of it and the interesting thing about nerds and Addison Ray that I want to point out, because, you know, we are where food meets pop culture. Addison Ray is a huge TikTok. I would consider her like OG of TikTok. Like she really, I don't know, started one of the main. And I think it's so interesting because I was thinking about the other day about how, you know, influencers have sort of become like the new celebrities for Gen Z. Like it used to just be movie stars and actors and singers and like professional athletes, I feel like for our generation growing up. And I wonder how those people, the movie stars, like if you would ask Gen Z who Brad Pitt is or Jennifer Aniston or like some of the people like we loved growing up, I'm trying to think like a Cameron Diaz or like some of these people that we grew up with, I don't think they would know who they are. And I think it's so interesting. Like what do those people think about being taken over by like an Addison Ray, like a girl who just, you know, quote unquote, like danced on TikTok? Like that was her fame, you know? I'm just curious also, like the strategy behind that marketing ad. Are they expecting more Gen Zers because of like the Taylor Swift movement? Like to me, like the Anna, like, the Super Bowl doesn't feel like the place for a TikTok person. Like we know Gen Z is watching like less football, but like, is this year different? Like, it's just super interesting. Their choices there. You mentioned though, the uh, Reese's one. Yeah. So Reese's is announcing they're making a big change to the Reese's peanut butter cups. And I'm like, they aren't. I'm afraid that one's going to be a letdown. Like, I'm like, what are you guys doing? And then I'm afraid it's going to be like, they're not changing. Yeah. They're like, we're adding 10% more peanut butter or like, it's going to be something like so stupid. Yeah, they're not. It's going to be a total letdown. It is a total teaser. I mean, Reese's, how, when was it invented? For like 300, not 300 years, but for, you know, multiple hundred years, probably. 300 years ago. <laughs> before Christ, okay? Since before Christ, Reese's has been making it the we same way. Reese's. They're not changing it now. <laughs> okay, so non-food ones I was excited for. Vince Vaughn and Tom Brady have one, which I've also always loved Vince Vaughn. Volkswagen has one that I think is going to be the one that makes us cry. Like, I think it's going to be emotional, cinematic. You guys watch for the Volkswagen one. I think we're going to love it. Um, Kawasaki had a funny one with mullets that I think will make everyone laugh. Um, on the opposite side, I was not a fan of Michelob, Hellman's, M&M's, Doritos, Popeye's, Coors Lights, or Miller's Lights. I feel like those were all like womp womp thumbs downs for me. I didn't mind the Hellman's one, although going into it, I was like, oh, is this going to be about like the mayonnaise being dumped on the coach or something? Because we just covered that. So I think that was like in my mind, like that mayonnaise like viral video. And it definitely wasn't. Um, I kind of like some of the pop culture references, though, where the cat is like dating like 
Pete Davidson and <laughs> the cat dumps him. But yeah, it was a weird one. Uh, one thing I was thinking as I was reading through these commercials, because I'm sure these companies have been like prepping them for I don't even know how long they've been working on this. No one, I'm sure when they started out doing this, knew Taylor Swift to be involved in this and like knew the hype that would be around this and the potential. And I wonder how many are so stressed that they like didn't go a different route or like wishing they would have done something different. Like, I just wonder if the commercials would have changed had they known like this will for sure be probably one of the highest viewed Super Bowls to date in history. And like, who knows if they'll ever be topped again? Like, this is it. Like, this is the Super Bowl probably for a while this when is it comes to Super numbers Bowl of Super Bowls. Yeah, exactly. And I just wonder how many are like, ah, oh, damn it. Like, why didn't we put more, more effort and energy into this? You know, like, <laughs> it's like, what do you think about a test? And you like prep two nights before and you're like, oh, why didn't I study harder? <laughs> I'm honestly shocked. No one changed directions. Like maybe there will be some, like, obviously we didn't watch every Super Bowl ad, but like, I feel like it would have like stood out or someone would have put it on a list and we were like scouring all the lists. I'm just shocked no one was like, you know what? We actually like <laughs> we need to like go back to the drawing boards and redo something with something with like the Eras tours and like the Super Bowl. I don't know. I'm just like so surprised by that actually. Mhm. The last thing I'll say about the Super Bowl talk is you guys we would not be Discover Ag if we did not give a shout out that Reba is going to be singing the national anthem. I'm like, let's bring back a little 80s 90s country. We all know it's like the best decade of country. So I was excited to see that Reba will be singing the national anthem. And oddly enough, I did not know this, but we got the scoop for you guys. Post Malone will be following her performance with a rendition of America the Beautiful. And you might think it's odd that Post Malone was the choice for that song or like the pairing. But he, if you've been like tracking him or following him a little bit, He's definitely leaning into country. He is actually going to be the um, headliner for the American Rodeo, which is in March. And that's a huge rodeo in Texas. And apparently that's not his first. He's also saying at the Cheyenne Frontier Days. And he broke that rodeo's record for most tickets sold in a day. So I do think it's interesting how more and more we are seeing like a blend and meld. I think of like pop culture with everything um, in society. Yeah. And I just feel like so much of like Western cowboy culture is just like taking over everything like Beyonce this last week was seen in a cowboy hat like very like Johnny Cash vibes in her outfit at the Grammys like it is just a phenomenon that's going on I mean I think Yellowstone kicked it off and now people are just running with it like Louis Vuitton like so many things are like putting a big influence on like Western culture into their brand so it is kind of fascinating Um, the very last thing I'll say before I take us into our next ad and into our next article is that Little shout out to our chicken farmers. Um, the number one food consumed at Super Bowl is chicken wings. So thank you, chicken poultry farmers, for doing the most on Super Bowl day. All right. So to thank our next sponsor, it is Land Trust. So a little bit about Land Trust. Land Trust is an easy-to-use online marketplace that generates income for landowners and provides recreational opportunities for outdoor enthusiasts by connecting them to each other. So this ad is for you if you are a landowner or if you are an outdoor enthusiast. The way it works is that there are hundreds of landowners, many of whom are fourth, fifth, or even sixth generation. They currently list over 1.3 plus million acres on Land Trust, and they offer bookings for do-it-yourself outdoor experience from hunting to fishing to bird watching to foraging to farm and ranch tours and more. So if you are an outdoor enthusiast looking to book your next experience, you can go to landtrust.com and reserve exclusive access to private land for your next outdoor adventure. And if you are a landowner, you can also go to landtrust.com to learn how you can earn additional income from your land while remaining in complete control. 
Um, and before we get into the article, uh, we do want to give a disco highlight. Uh, Tori White 670 left us a review. She titled it Becoming a Disco Girly! Explanation point. Absolutely love listening to you girls. She spelled it G-U-R-L-S, which I love. Uh, I enjoy hearing from people who are experts in our industry. Thanks for sharing article and experts with us. No, Tori, thank you. If you are Tori, please DM us over on the Instagram page and we will get you a sticker sent your way. And if you are not Tori and you want some Discover stickers yourself, take a second after you guys finish listening to today's episode and leave us a review. We appreciate it so immensely, you guys. It helps us grow and gets more people discovering. All right, diving into our last and final article to discover this week. Headline, carbon footprint of homegrown food five times greater than those grown conventionally. So this was the one we pulled was out of Yahoo News, but this is, I don't know, trending in a lot of places. So you guys could find a lot of different articles on it. And it covers a new University of Michigan-led international study that found fruits and vegetables grown in urban farms and gardens have a carbon footprint that is greater than conventionally grown produce. Uh, It's interesting because the Yahoo article reported five times in the headline and a lot of other articles report six times. And you guys, honestly, that is just the start of the controversy over this this study. Like people are fired up. People are so fired up. It's like all over the internet. And honestly, I don't know why the results surprise anyone. I feel like if there is one thing that our modern food system does well, it is efficiency. Like it is unbelievably efficient. But I also think that this is literally, I feel like what you and I have been shouting from the rooftops for like, a while now, is we are so darn focused on carbon footprint that we miss everything else. Like just this headline is exactly an example of that. And I'm not like discounting what the researchers did. Like, I I mean, I'm sure it's like valuable information and great research, but like that's the problem with only looking at carbon. What about all the other benefits of urban like food production systems, gardens in people's backyard, all of those things like completely missed because the only thing we can talk about with agriculture is what is the carbon footprint? Yeah, I have so much I want to say about this because like you said, it is kind of a soapbox of ours we get on. Um, it, it touches on actually so many soapboxes. I was getting honestly very fired up reading this article because it does touch on so many different things that you and I like to talk about and stand for and bring to light. Like I also think it 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 highlights how important nuance is. It, it highlights how important it is to read beyond the headline. It, it highlights so many things that I think are important when it comes to like the food conversations. And I honestly had a hard time like getting geared up to like talk about this because I am just so tired of this same thing happening over and over again. I'm tired of a headline coming out that is focused on a small piece that is like, you know, losing itself in the weeds. And then everyone on social media getting up in arms over it. Like I was just like, oh, here we are again. Before we get into some of those topics and kind of dissect them, uh, just a little background on the study for you guys. Like we said, it's out of University of Michigan. It is the first large scale of its type, which I guess is like you said, like there, th- it's important, I guess, get the ball rolling around some of this research and, and give us like numbers and data to have when like we are talking about this and comparing this and like having food conversations. It is worldwide. So they it took place on agriculture sites around, you know, Europe, the US, UK, like it listed a bunch of different countries. It had a total of 73 different sites. Um, and it, like we said, it compared conventional to urban. And the urban sites were like urban farms. So like professionally managed ones focused on food production, individual gardens. So like small plots managed by a single gardener. And then also like collective gardens. So they looked at like communal spaces. And the results came out that the CO2 produced on the urban farms was more 
than CO2 produced on the industrial scale. And from there is where everyone, because as we'll get into, it actually has a lot to do with the infrastructure. But from there is where everyone was pissed off. It went into, you know, the government's controlling the food system. They're trying to tell us not to to garden. Um, it, a lot of like, well, how could, you know, conventional farming, like a lot of pesticide, herbicide talk, like talking about how, you know, things that don't even have to do with the study, like it just from there spiraled out of control because no one read further what the study actually said, studied and what the study actually recommended. Like I have some sign bouts out of there I want to pull out in a second, but it just... It's like no one goes beyond that one period, you know? No, absolutely. Hence why we're going to Southwest by Southwest to talk about the nuanced in agriculture and that you can't listen to like food influencers online sharing about ag because it's so much more complicated than like the soundbite that people took with this and like ran with it. And so you said the biggest issue that they found was the infrastructure there was a lot of carbon emissions around the infrastructure and that a lot of these farms only lasted for maybe like 10 years versus like in a lot of cases, conventional agriculture is going to be like decades and decades, like tons of time and a lot of use on the infrastructure. And honestly, I had like a chuckle. I was like, anyone who's grown anything in their backyard knows that you go and spend like $300 at your like garden store to grow a few vegetables that saves you like $10 on your grocery store bill, right? Like it's that is part of it. You're going to spend a ton of money on the infrastructure to put together your garden or your urban farm or whatever it is. And like in one growing season, you're just not actually like saving anything on your grocery bill. I mean, maybe like for hardcore gardeners, but I feel like in the basic system, like people aren't producing like their entire supply of food. No, I mean, I talked about this on our personal episode about how I have high hopes for my garden every summer and I put all this money, time and effort, energy, vision boards into it. And by the end of it, I mean, unless you are a really good gardener, which yeah, there are absolutely ones out there that they're probably the ones taking major offense to this. But I think there's a majority of people that like, fall under this, I'm going to say it, this like fad of homesteading who want to try and have the gardens and the chickens and all the different things. They go to their Home Depot. Like you said, they spend all this money. They're bringing back all these supplies and everything you don't need. And then they do it for a year and they're like, well, that was a little bit harder than I thought it would be, you know? Um, And like you said at the beginning, I mean, it should be to no surprise. It should be to no surprise that small operations are less efficient. And I think that's actually one of the first things I thought when I read this article, I was like, of course, of course, everyone is sad that, you know, quote unquote, conventional farming is um, efficient. You know, why isn't anyone saying amazing? That is so amazing that the U.S. has an efficient food production. Like, wouldn't it be really bad news if the small gardener in the backyard was more efficient at doing the job of what our food system is supposed to be doing? Like, to me, that's a problem. To me, it's not a problem that people who are dabbling in the hobby of gardening have not figured out how to efficiently do it. And I don't see that rhetoric anywhere online. Yeah. And this is like no offense to the backyard gardener or the urban farms. Like, I think they're so needed. I think there is so I wish the article that or the coverage of this had gotten into like, but the value of urban farming is like, you know, assistance with. No, it did. So hold on. I'm sorry to cut you off, but it did. That's the other thing. Like, and maybe it wasn't this article, but when I was reading it, like no one is saying don't backyard garden. Like you were saying, there was one. Let me find the quote because I thought it was so interesting. While you're finding it, I just feel like for me, the piece is, is like urban farms can solve like urban food deserts, right? Like the value they bring is beyond the carbon emission. That's what like, I don't know. I felt like that was missing from the conversation as well. So he said, uh, so this was a quote from one of the articles. 
Urban agriculture is best for the climate, quote, when it serves as a hub for symbiosis of building materials, organic waste and rainwater, essentially when you do it right. But the this man, Goldstein, they interviewed said, even when it doesn't, it's often still worth doing because urban farming also provides benefits well beyond food. When the team asked the urban farmers across the global north what they got out of urban farming, we found a whole host of social and economic benefits. And then it goes on to talk about this. And I'm just like, Again, no one is reading the nuance. Everyone takes the sign about like sound bites are absolutely the enemy of conversation. That's one of my favorite quotes. We talk about it in Southwest. It's in my keynote. Like we have got to stop relying on sound bites, headlines, social media reels to do our thinking for us. Period. Period. Mic drop. Period. In a completely different direction because I feel like you wrapped us up there. There are some fruits and vegetables that are more efficient. Some of those are tomatoes, which did not surprise me either because tomatoes, I just feel like grow no matter what. Yeah. You're like, uh, how many more tomato recipes can I freaking make? I'm so sick of tomatoes. How many jars of spaghetti sauce can I really make with my single tomato? And cucumbers. I'm so surprised I didn't talk about cucumbers. My funny story, my mother-in-law always talks about how during like peak garden season here in Nebraska, she's like, there was a running joke with her and her friends that you had to lock your doors because people would put zucchinis and cucumbers like the excess in their cars if you left them unlocked because you're just like, literally, they're coming out of your ears where you're like, "I, I can't eat another one. Our little tiny like raised flower bed that we've turned into a garden, um, we obviously grow a lot of peppers. And I literally am like, you get peppers, you get peppers, <laughs> everyone gets peppers. And we don't even grow that much. Like it's just we cannot. And Daniel eats a ton of peppers and we cannot keep up with the amount of peppers. I have preserved peppers in so many different ways. Like at this point when it's like once August hits, I feel like I just start um, what it's like dehydrating them and turning them into like ground pepper like what would that be? Seasoning? Because I'm just like, I can't do anything else with peppers. The other food, though, that also does well is anything that has to be like air freighted in. So like asparagus a lot of times has to be air freighted in. So if your food is traveling on an airplane, it obviously has a really high carbon footprint. So growing it closer to the source is better. So I feel like that makes there's a lot of opportunity there for improving these urban food gardens. Well, and again, that goes to another soapbox you and I talk about that like people want to be mad that, you know, cows are destroying the climate that we shouldn't be eating beef, but they're ordering like their acai bowls and avocado toast. And it's like we've covered we've covered avocados on the podcast eight and ten come from Mexico. And no one's like we're not factoring in like this this big picture what this article did, which is like the freight, the cost, like the the life cycle admissions of some of our food that we import in that manner. I think in closing this, I want to end with a quote that a disco sent in because I think it actually sums it up well. It's a little bit longer, but you know, we love our disco community. We love to feature you guys. We love when you bring your thoughts, opinions uh, to us with the articles. Um, And this disco, I think they must have messaged the article like asking us to cover it and then sent kind of their thoughts on it. Cause like, I don't, I don't know how I have this quote, but I, I messaged it and saved it because I thought it, I thought it was so well said. So it was from Parker Farm and Vineyard. And they said, quote, I would sure hope so. Explanation mark. As a farmer, everything I do should be more sustainable, more efficient, and more productive than the average citizen. That's any job, economies of scale, y'all. But 
dot, 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 nuance. Let's be reasonable. I bake bread, but a baker can do it more efficiently. This doesn't mean I shouldn't bake my own bread. The problem here is not the statistic. Can someone please tell our legislators that it's cool if food production uses up a small percentage of our energy needs and climate outputs? Pretty please, question mark. What an acceptable percentage of GHG emissions for the ag industry anyway. It's not just food. This article is right. It's just dumb. The amount of energy saved or wasted at this scale is tiny. Thank a farmer, plant a garden, get mad about something else. And I think that's so well said. That's it. That's all we've got for you this mm-hmm. week, you guys. I mean, the disco said it best wrapped it up in a tight, nightless little bow for us and like even gave a call to action for our legislators to like (laughs) do more. All right, you guys, that's all we have for you for our episode. But hang tight because we are getting into an interview with Emily from Toops & Co. Like Tara said at the beginning, this covers a lot of the mission, the backstory behind uh, Toops & Co. But it also covers a lot of the science around beef tallow. So if you are a beef tallow user and you want to know more of it, or if you're thinking about it and you're interested about you know, tallow and how it works and reacts with the skin and and beyond that, you know, their whole tallow-based uh, brand. This is the episode for you guys. It is for our wellness girlies. Please enjoy. Hello, Emily, and welcome to the Discover Ag Podcast. Thanks for having me. I am so excited for this interview. Toops & Co. has taken over Tara and I's lives. <laughs> and we'll get into that more. But it's so fun. We've been able to share, you know, Toops & Co. from a product standpoint with our community. But it is so fun to be able to now finally share kind of the person and the face behind the company with our community. So I'm very, very excited for this. I think where I want to start is that skincare is not anything new, right? I mean, if you trace back to our ancestors, I'm sure our great, 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 great grandmothers were just as obsessed or, you know, used um, some form of products for skincare like we do today. So when you look back on that, I think what probably has changed is where it's sourced from, right? You know, if you, the further you go back, the more closer it was to, to animal products. And then somewhere in their middle, we kind of got into, you know, derivatives of plant and, and kind of the laboratory and, and the chemical and the mixing of it all. And now I feel like we've kind of circled back towards animal-based again. And I'm so curious um, to kind of get your take on, on that like circle, that evolution. For sure. I mean, tallow is definitely getting its moment right now, right? It's no longer flying under the radar. It's not a product that people have never heard of, or we need to like explain exactly what tallow is, maybe for a few people. Um, but it's definitely becoming more and more mainstream, which is really exciting. And really, I think as more and more people have like struggled with imperfect health, they're starting to take a second look at what they put on their bodies and in their bodies. Um, I think it starts first with what they're putting in and they immediately start looking at what they're putting on and how like specific ingredients might be affecting their overall health. So it's undeniable that the nutrient density of tallow is like far outweighing and and outperforming. Um, petrochemicals and even like plant-based ingredients. And so I think that's one of like the main things that people just keep coming back to tallow is because it, it is it's performing. Um, it's working really well. People have decided to get back to the basics and that's including their skincare. I feel like we have TikTok to thank for this like mainstream, as you said, of like beef towel. Like it absolutely blew up on that platform. And as things do on TikTok, like, you know, they just 
they can just very quickly explode over there. And so I feel like that is where Natalie and I really were like watching it like and seeing it take off with so many of like the beauty and wellness influencers. And I do think a lot of the people who ended up like getting on the beef tallow like bandwagon were kind of like on a health and wellness journey. They wanted, you know, less ingredients in their products. And like, if you look at the back of a tubes and co, I was looking just this morning, actually. And I mean, you, you know, all the ingredients, like it is just very obvious, like what they are. Um, but I will say, like, I feel like the TikTok trend has been more recent. And you said you started, you know, several years ago. And so this has been something I have been so curious about since I started using the tubes and co products of like, what is your orange sto- origin story? How did you get started? Because to me, it felt like you guys were very much ahead of the game. And while everyone is kind of now jumping into balms, you have balms, you have uh, the makeup, you have like an entire lineup. And so how did you guys, what like brought you to wanting to create this product? So um, when we, when I first started looking into tallow, um, I had, my daughter was one, one and a half. I was pregnant. I was about to have our second baby and she had eczema so bad. And I also had some um, health issues as well. I was taking uh, thyroid medication and then I couldn't find it. It was like getting pulled from shelves and I was like, what am I going to do? And that really like sparked this um, wellness journey for our family. And I just started researching. I was like, there, there's got to be something else that I can do, especially um, when it came to her eczema. And so somewhere, somehow I came across tallow and was reading about it. And I picked up the phone. This is probably the end of 2015. Picked up the phone and like got on Google, found a, um, a local cattle farmer really close to us, called them up and I asked them for some tallow. And she was like, what are you talking about? And so I kind of like read from this website that I was reading about tallow and explained to her what it is. And she's like, well, we, you know, we don't have any of that, but maybe I can get some for you. So she's like, give me, you know, a day or two, I'll call you back. So a day or two later, she calls me back and she's like, I I spoke with our butcher and I was able to get you some of this tallow, which I had specifically asked for, like the kidney fat, the suet. And she had like this little five pound pack and she left, uh, she had met me on the side of the road. She called me up and I was like, I, this is where I live. This is where she was. We met on the side of the road. I got it. And it was not ground, like completely just raw and frozen. And I brought it home, ground it up and rendered it. And that was like the first, uh, intro into tallow for us. But I had, I had made some tallow balm and was putting it on my daughter. And I mean, we loved it. It's so anti-inflammatory and we had been using so many things and we had done the steroids and all of the, you know, things from the pediatrician. And uh, this was like, kind of like the last ditch effort, you know, we're looking for something for, you know, her whole body in the creases here behind her legs and knees and things. Um, And so it worked really well. And we knew other people and family members that had same, you know, the same or similar issues. So I was like giving it out to everybody I knew. I was like, you know, this is BFAT. I promise. I just want you to try it. Um, And so at that time, we we were making it in the kitchen in a little KitchenAid and giving it away to friends and family. And at that time is when I started to um, like post some of them on an Etsy shop. And that's kind of how Toops & Co. got its its launch, I guess. I love it so much. I feel like all good businesses start from just solving like the simple problem to your family and then realizing, oh, I can help so many other, you know, people with this. And I, I just so deeply resonate and connect to you being like, I didn't really plan to make this a business. It just kind of stumbled my way 
into it. Yeah. And I think there's probably a lot of, you know, female entrepreneurs out there that would also connect with that and just find that very inspiring that, you know, might not have been like a business plan from the beginning, but you have like definitely certainly turned it into a really thriving business, which is amazing. Diving back into your guys's origin story, you mentioned your daughter and kind of her original diagnosis and struggle with eczema. And I feel like this is something that I kind of want to double click and highlight because I do feel like, as you mentioned originally, you know, tallow really does perform. And it's not the greenwashing marketing that we see, I feel like, from so many kind of wellness skincare companies. Like, there, I just feel like some of the branding they put on there, some of the claims, like the way they market, all of that is just very, very different. Because I have had so many people since I have been sharing about tallow on my social media message me back in and talk about how much it's helped them with a variety of different things. Like maybe it cleared their skin. Maybe they were struggling with acne. Maybe they, um, you know, a lot of them are talking about like the eczema and the struggles with that. And so I kind of want to get into like maybe a little bit, I don't necessarily know if it's like the science of tallow, but I kind of want you to talk about and explain like how tallow is working, like why it does have these benefits, like what, you know, what makes tallow as cool as it is? Absolutely. So of course, I really love like all the science behind tallow because, you know, everything we do pretty much is tallow based. And I wholeheartedly believe in it because I've seen, you know, account after account of people who have had inflammation and other issues switch to a tallow based product and just see you know, such great results. And if you do, you know, some quick Google searches, you'll see some naysayers and they'll say, um, you know, it's not really the best or there are other things that you can use that are better. But, you know, as humans, our um, cell membrane is made up of like 50 or or really of fatty acids and about 50% of those fatty acids is saturated fat. And what is tallow? Tallow is saturated fat. Um, it's also about, it's about 50% saturated, same as our own skin's um, oils or our own skin's sebum. And I like to tell people that actually the word sebum, which is our skin's naturally produced oil, it actually means tallow in Latin. So it is extremely similar. Um, and even, you know, our ancestors even knew that. It's very compatible with our own cells biology. And so um, those saturated fats, and all the other fat-soluble vitamins that are in tallow really feed our skin on a molecular level. But in addition to that, it's, it's anti-inflammatory. And so when you have a skin issue, or even when you don't, you're feeding your skin cells with fat-soluble vitamins, you know, A, D, K, vitamin E, um, and a lot of other really anti-inflammatory and nourishing fatty acids. And so our skin is absorbing that And that's just something that you're not going to find in plant oils because they don't have fat-soluble vitamins. Um, There are some really great properties of plant oils that, you know, I really love olive oil and jojoba and some of these other plant oils. They just don't have the nutrient density that tallow has. So, of course, when we're feeding our skin um, with fat-soluble vitamins that aren't synthetic, Uh, we're going to see better general health and better skin health. Um, Also, our skin has uh, its own microbiome. And so when we're like using harsh chemicals or maybe petrochemicals, which is something like um, petroleum-based products and things like that, it's going to disrupt that skin microbiome. And when we are disrupting the skin microbiome at all in any kind of way, we're going to see disruptions in the form of inflammation or eczema and rosacea and all these skin issues that we see 
are almost always a direct result of disrupting that skin microbiome. So we want to keep that um, as, you know, nourished and healthy as possible. And I mean, tallow is one of the, you know, top hitters for for that. So a little bit about like my background, I feel like coming to Tubes & Co. Um, I'm like a pretty big Botox girly. Uh, we talk about that a little bit on the podcast. And I will say since going to the beef tallow products I'm using Tubes & Co., I am finding I am going further and further between my Botox sessions. Like it's not like I've given it up completely. But I feel like one of the things as I'm now in my mid 30s that I was struggling with is like, like you can Botox something, but like the overall skin appearance does not change, like the texture of your skin, right? And I, that is the biggest thing I've noticed about using the tallow balm from you guys is like my overall texture is so much more like hydrated and full and like the elasticity. And like, I don't even know how to describe it. Like I have this, I sleep with a pillow on my head and have this one like weird wrinkle that's like sideways. We can't Botox that. And since I've been using tallow, like it just keeps getting like better and better. And you can just like, I don't know how to describe it, but you can, I like, I know that like skincare is about like building those like building blocks of your skin, but like, that's how I feel. Like you can just see the skin like coming back to life. Um, but you have so many other products that I love too. And you mentioned the, I'm going to butcher this cause I butchered every time I say it for you guys, but the hobobo. Hoboba. I know I butcher it every single time. And I practice in my mind before I say it and I still can't ever say it right. <laughs> But that oil that you guys have, like you have so many other products, like I use the deodorant, like it is a whole like skincare line. So maybe you can touch on some of the other products because I know like that combination for me is what has like dialed it in. It's like some of the oils and then sealing that in with the tallow, like it is that combination for me that has like changed my skin. So um, I'll talk a little about what my favorites are. How about that? So I like to start with saying like, okay, first of all, don't, we're not going to strip the skin with any kind of harsh cleanser. And so we have two different cleansers. You can either go with the tallow soap, which is um, just saponified tallow and it's got activated charcoal in it, or the oil that you were talking about, which is a hoba base is the sea buckthorn cleansing oil. So for like more mature skin, which is a really nice way to say it. And um, now that I'm 35, I'm like, I'm one of the ones that have mature skin. <laughs> um, I'm less and less using the charcoal soap, which I think is really great for acne prone skin and people who are having hormonal issues. But the sea buckthorn cleansing oil is kind of my go-to favorite because it's not stripping the skin. And when you're not stripping the skin, your skin's not going to overproduce oil, um, which then, you know, leads to, to more and more things. And so um, cleansing the skin with that sea buckthorn I always highly recommend a toner. And I recently saw a, I don't know if it's an ad or an article that was talking about how toner is a waste of money. It's basically like water down the drain. And I was like, that's not at all uh, the case because the, the our tonics, which are witch hazel based, um, go into that freshly clean skin. They get the rest of the oil from your um, cleansing oil out and then they're going down deep into that pore to like get whatever dirt and bacteria out. So you're starting like really fresh. Well, once you're starting with a completely clean and fresh face, then you're applying a serum. And um, my favorite, the reparative serum has uh, Bacuchile or Bacuchiol. There's uh, different differing ways on the internet on how that's pronounced, but that's going to cause the skin cells to renew. So after the skin cells are starting to renew and you're using that serum, 
we are going to need to feed all those brand new skin cells. And that's where the tallow comes in. So you're putting tallow on and those new skin cells are being renewed and, you know, um, fresh in your face. And then you're putting on all of those fat soluble vitamins, which is feeding your skin. So over time, your skin is just, um, you know, becoming more and more healthy. And that just leads to more elasticity, clear and, and more beautiful and, you know, hydrated skin. It is so fun to talk right now because <laughs> like you said, sometimes we just read something in an article or we have done something for so long and we don't really know why we're doing it. Um, and I think skincare is one of those weird things that you don't necessarily always immediately see the effects, but maybe looking back after like a year of using it or, you know, for sure when you get like five, 10 year and you look back at like how your skin has been taking care of, it makes an effect. But I don't think it's like one of those things where you wake up the next morning and you're like, oh yes, like the vitamin C serum cream worked, you know, like it, it overnight, it's magically better. And so it is fun to hear you talk about this because one thing I have done since I was in high school, my mother had me do a tonic, a, a, a t- toner. Um, and I've always done that. And I mean, I can't stop because I feel like my skin is so used to it. And I don't do it every day. I can kind of tell the days my skin is just like, you need it. But I've always been like, do I, should I even do this? Do what, like, what is this doing? I have no idea. It's just been such a part of my routine that I can't give it up. So to hear you validate it, I was like, oh, thank you. Like I, <laughs> I'm on the right track. And I will say that is one of, um, my favorite products. I kind of want to go through, I guess maybe Antara can do the same of what we individually use, but your guys's toner tonic is I have switched over. I used to just kind of get, you know, the generic one you get at like a target or I used to order it off Amazon. And now I use your guys's and I absolutely love it. I will also say I am not a big makeup girl. I never really ever have been, but if you guys stop making your makeup, I don't know what I'll do because I am heavily dependent upon your guys's mascara now and I live and breathe and die by your guys's cheek tint. And so I am just that has taken over my makeup bag. Um, I love your guys's tallow. Obviously, I mean, that was one of the first things I started with you guys. I have now started to use your guys's body wash, which it says men's, but both Luke and I use it. We just have one bottle in our shower. Um, I'm trying to think. I know I have more. I'm switching over to the deodorant right now. Um, I mean, you guys, you are just slowly infiltrating my bathroom and I am just so okay with it. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) And you know, every product was like the means to replace something. So as we added more and more products, it was basically like, I'm turning something around and, you know, I'm trying to give the best to the kids because they were always first. I was like, oh, you know, the first body wash we came out with was the the baby wash because I was so worried about what the kids are putting on their skin. But then I'm turning around and looking at my deodorant and I'm just like, yeah, maybe that could be better. And then as my daughter got older, I think maybe she was like eight. So that would be uh, four or five years ago or seven or eight. And she was digging through my makeup bag and looking for things that she wanted to like try on or whatever. And I'm looking at the ingredients because I know that her skin is really sensitive. And I was like, well, we can do, we could do this better. Um, And I wanted products that I don't care what she was digging through. She could use them all. And I wouldn't feel like she was putting something on her skin that was um, bad for her. So that's kind of the evolution and the evolving of Toops & Co. As they were looking through my things, I was like, no, we need something better for that. The cheek tint is like one of those all-in-one things. I'm not a huge makeup uh, you know, girl. And I know that I own a makeup company, but I'm just... um, 
kind of a, a mama and a homesteader and the cheek tint's like cheek, lip, all in one, throw in the bag, one of those kind of easier products to use. And, and that was kind of inspiration behind that. But just really good, wholesome ingredients. That's the basis of, of all the products. And that's why they work so well. Yeah, a few of my favorite. I think I got Natalie hooked on the cheek tint because that's been what, like, I'll say, I feel like the beef tallow, like the balm is the gateway drug. And then it just keeps going. As Natalie said, you just keep replacing your products. Um, I already said I love the deodorant, but I use your foundation as well. I really, really love it. There's, you know, a lot of different colors on there. I need to like change to an like even lighter winter color. I feel like that is the hard thing about wearing foundation is that transition from summer to winter. You got to like color down a little bit more. Um, but no, there's is truly so many products. And I love that with your daughter. I have a daughter who is about to be 10 and like getting into that phase of life where she's curious in like the makeup I'm putting on. And I want to make sure like, you know, she has such beautiful young skin, like protecting that and not putting on too harsh of chemicals and all, you know, all the ingredients that we see out there. Um, so I love that origin story is like a mom that's maybe just a couple years behind you with a daughter. Um, but no, thank you so much for sharing all about your products today. I said this off air, but I was so looking forward to this interview and learning more about you and all of your products. So I'm just so thankful. I know that our discos are big fans of the Tubes & Co line. So um, we just love this partnership and our connection here. So to kind of wrap things up, um, I would love to know where can people go to find your products and um, what do they need to check out? So definitely go to toopsandco.com. That's we're all direct to consumer. We ship all over the place. Um, find your favorites and yeah, just check out right there and we'll send it straight from us straight to your door. You can use the code DISCOVER to get yourself a discount as well. So head over to Tubes & Co. Use the code DISCOVER and check out all of the great beef tallow-based products that Tubes & Co. has to offer. This has been a 58 Ember production. For more shows, please visit the 58 Ember channel, 58ember.com, or find us at 58 Ember Media on socials.